good morning, everyone. I am excited, yet still nervous, to be here, as I'm sure many of you, if you were told that you were going to be preaching on a Sunday in front of a professor that you went to school at, that would be quite nerving. So I'm going to attempt to do this as well as I can. Um, I uh, was thinking about what I was going to be preaching on, and of course, I get the lovely privilege of teaching and spending time with the youth here. So that includes the junior high students, the senior high students, as well as the young adults who attend this church. And let me tell you, it's been a huge blessing for me. I, if you didn't know, I'm a recent graduate of Bible college. And um, being this my first position in ministry, again, it's nerve wracking. You want to do well. Uh, you want the people to like you. You want to succeed in your position, do the work that God has called you to do. And the youth and young adults here have been so, so kind, except for one time when Jared back there stole my keys <laughs> and almost made me get locked out of the church, my car, and my home. But other than that, I had to out you. I just had to. It was my first, like, first time up here, I had to say it. So it's been great. Um, I absolutely love being here. And Thank you, Pastor Shannon, for allowing me the opportunity to preach. Um, this is a growing experience for me, so I, I really sincerely hope that you guys hear what I have to say, what God has placed on my heart for you guys. Um, to me, it's important. It's so, so crucial that I'm able to tell you guys my heart for this ministry, my heart for the youth, the students here at this church, because if you don't know what we're doing, then it's really hard for you to be on board, or it's really hard for you guys to know what you guys can do in support of this ministry, what you guys can do to support the youth in this church. Um, so thank you so much for allowing me the chance to do that with you guys. Um, I'm just going to pray before I start, and then we're going to get into it. Dear God, thank you so much for this November day. Thank you that um, you've placed something inside my heart to share with this congregation. Lord, I pray that my words would be clear, the message would be heard by these people, God, and that there would be, if there's things that needed to be changed in our own hearts, Lord, that you would work, your Holy Spirit would, would convict us and move us to action, to change our ways, to find a new way of thinking, God. I just pray a blessing over this service, and uh, in your name I pray. All right. So, when I was in my second year of Bible college, um, when that came to an end, there's a four-month gap for summer. And instead of going home, uh, back to Sudbury, where I'm from, up north, I decided that I was going to be brave and go somewhere new, try something out, and see what happened. So I took a summer internship at a church in Woodstock, and I moved myself to billet with a family for four months that I had no clue who they were. Hopefully they were going to be nice to me and have a room for me to stay in. And it so happened that I stayed with a family, a wonderful, amazing family, um, who lived on a chicken farm, 18,000 chickens. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> and inside this home was a beautiful family, um, Tina, the wife, Andy, the husband, and four young children. And for four months, I spent my time with this family, and the mother poured into me. She, every single time that I would come back from a day at work, she would ask me how it went. But then even deeper than that, she would ask me how my journey was with, with Christ, my walk. She would pray for me. She would hug me. She was like a second mom to me, essentially. And it was awesome, amazing. She, she just invested herself into me. And even after I left, um, 
even after I left, going back to school, she would write letters to me. Uh, she would write letters to me for my birthday. She would write letters to me for Christmas. She would write letters to me for just a random occasion. I would go to the mailbox in my school, open it up, and I would see handmade letters. And not only did she send me letters, but her kids sent me letters. <laughs> and when you get a four-year-old sending you a letter, it brings a smile to your face. Um, so I would be so excited to get these letters and just be in total anticipation. I absolutely loved it. And it was something deeper than that, though. It was her investment, her time, showing me that she actually genuinely cared for me. It wasn't just, nobody would send you eight letters for the sake of just eight letters because they had time. Am I right? And I'm guessing that many of you love to get mail as well. It's just a great thing to do. It's a great thing to get. Someone's thinking of you. And today, I'm going to be talking to you guys about a letter that was sent to the Church of Ephesians, and it's found in Revelations 2, 1 to 7. And when I say Revelations, maybe some of you guys are like, oh, that book is a little bit daunting to read. I know. I get it. I've tried to read it. I've been there. But it's okay. We're only going to focus on a little small part of it today and work through it together. So I'm just going to read Revelations 2, 1 to 7. So it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant, the, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God." So I'm going to focus today on just a few verses of that. So that's our overall context of the verse, the letter that was sent to the Church of Ephesians. I'm going to focus on verses 2 to 5 more specifically. And to help us understand a little bit more, um, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of, of context again. So I'm going to talk about, we'll go to the next, the next slide, um, a little bit about the author so who wrote the book of Revelations? So it's quite nice, actually. In a few books, it's really hard to figure out who authored this. And there's a lot of theologians who go, into a, who go through a lot of work to figure out who wrote these books of the Bible. It's nice, in the book of Revelation, the word or the name John is actually specifically named. So we know this guy was John. And um, even more so than that, it's um, theologians, and I believe that it was to be the John, the disciple of Jesus, who is writing this. But even more importantly, um, the book of Revelation is actually, by its name, a revelation to John from Jesus Christ. 
So Jesus Christ is the one who divinely authors this. Even though he is using John as the person to write this out, Jesus is the one who's giving this revelation to him to write it down. And this is important because when he's writing these letters, this is only one letter of seven to seven churches. When he's writing these letters down, it's not actually John's opinion of these churches. It's not what John thinks. It's not what he has come up with in his mind to say, this church is good at this, this church is bad at this, because that would be extremely biased. So we can know without a shadow of doubt that this is God speaking clearly to his church. He knows them intimately. He has a relationship there. He is with them and he knows their, their, um, the good things, the positive things about them, but he also knows the deep-rooted issues that maybe wouldn't be seen by other people or someone like John. It's also important to know the place that he's writing to. Um, so the place that he's writing to is Ephesus, and Ephesus is located on the western coast of Asia Minor. It was a world-famous religious, cultural, and economic center of the region. Major seaport, it had a major seaport. It had all the major highways converging into this one, so it was not a small place on the map. Um, a lot of people, if you can kind of relate it to like a Toronto or a New York City of the time, maybe quite not the amount of buildings there, but at the time it was like a... Toronto or New York City. Um, it's also important to note that a church was established here, and none other than the Apostle Paul ministered there for three years, so you know that there was some good preaching in that place, and other people who were part of the church at the time, at one time or another, was Timothy and John Apollos. So those are some other people who were along in the journey of the Church of Ephesus in the place of Ephesus. So Along with a lot of people who lived in that place, there was a lot of culture packed into that, and not necessarily for the good. So Ephesus held one of the wonders of one of the ancient wonders of the world at the time, which is which was a ginormous temple dedicated to the god of Artemis. So that was a pagan god of fertility, and people would worship this god. Thousands of people would worship um, the the god of Artemis, the temple of Artemis. And their worship would look very different from our regular worship service. It wasn't quite, you stand and you sing, you have your arms raised. Um, there was a lot of temple prostitution. It was very immoral. It was a hard place for Christians to be around, as you can imagine, just watching it. Probably they were in despair watching these people worship the way that they were worshiping when they knew the truth of God. They knew how God would want them to worship. It was also, um, so in general, it was just dominated by this type of pagan lifestyle. It also had a very large marketplace called the Agora, which functioned as the social hub of the, of the city. Essentially, if you were anyone who valued social class, you would find yourself in the Agora quite frequently. At the entrance of the Agora, there would be an incense burner where each person entering would drop a piece of incense into the burner as a sign of loyalty to the emperor who, who claimed to be God. So once again, you can kind of see how this would pose a large problem for people who were Christian at the time, since refusing to place a piece of incense into the burner would mean losing out on so much of Ephesus, so much of that social status and all that came with it. So now that we know a little bit of background into who wrote this, um, the place that it was written to, and the culture of the time, we can kind of go, go right into the letter. So we'll go to the commendation. So Jesus has something great to say about this church. And when we read it, it's like, wow, 
This was a happening church. This was an awesome church. And one of the specific things that they were commended for was their works. So the works that they were commended for actually was meaning like everything that they were doing. They were doing tons of stuff. They were always working extremely hard to the point where they were like absolutely just exhausted, tired. They were, if I, if I could relate it to today, they're probably out every single day of the week doing ministry. They're running events all the dessert stations out, doing things with big signs, big posters. Um, they weren't a lazy church. They, had a, they didn't have a that-will-do kind of culture. You know, when you say you put something together, like the bulletin board, and you're putting things on, you're like, oh, that will do. No, I don't think they were like that. They were working hard, endless hours of figuring out things to do and implementing them. They were a church of action. And it's inspiring to see that they were a church of that way, and not afraid of getting out there and searching for things to do to advance the kingdom of God. So I would say that would be a, a very big plus for that church. The next thing um, that Jesus commends them for is their patient endurance. So the Ephesian church continued doing these works without becoming weary. So even though they were physically tired probably, and they were like, oh man, I, my body feels like I need a break, in their minds they were like, I am not going to give up and I'm going to keep on doing this. I don't care how tired I'm going to be at the end of the week. I don't care how early I have to wake up tomorrow morning. I am going to push through this, and I'm going to keep on doing these works, these deeds for this church. So in other words, they worked hard, they sacrificed, and they pushed through the pain. They were, no way, they were in no way ready to stop what they were doing. And like I said easier, Ephesus wasn't a walk in the park. So for these people who were doing these deeds, they were facing a lot of persecution. They were different from the other people. They weren't worshiping the same pagan gods that the other people were worshiping. Their standard was different. And so I can only imagine the amount of flack they would get from other people who were telling them, don't do that. What are you doing? This is crazy. What, why are you working so hard? All you have to do is come over to this temple, worship this god, everything will be okay. So again, it's very commendable that when we look at them and that they, were, they, were, they weren't going to stop. They were going to endure whatever they needed to endure to get things done, to work for the kingdom of God, to see things come through. The last thing that they were commended for was their detest of evil. So the Ephesian church pursued doctrinal purity and worked diligently to weed out anyone who tried to misconstrue the gospel. So we're told in Acts 20, 29 to 31, Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said this, For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember for, for that the three years I did not come to cease to warn, and warn everyone night and day with tears. So, Paul knew that they were going to face this, and so he addressed it right from the beginning to the Ephesian church and told them, watch out. There's going to be people who are going to try to come into your churches and twist what the gospel is saying and draw you somewhere out, somewhere else. And the Ephesians church, they, they took this seriously. And when people would come in, they would test them. They would make sure what they were saying actually lined up with what the gospel was saying. And if not, they would get rid of them. They wouldn't stand for it. 
They wouldn't have them stand in their churches. They would, they would make sure that the integrity of the gospel stayed true. So this, again, very commendable, amazing things to be learning from, especially, like I said before, in the place that they were living, it would have been so easy for them to kind of just loosen up a little bit. So maybe in the agora, in the marketplace, maybe to put a little piece of incense in the burner. Who would know? Maybe to eat some meat that was sacrificed to idols. So why not ease up on your morals? No, they didn't do that. It showed a backbone of truth because they refused to let anything or anyone fool them into compromising the gospel. These are, again, things that we should commend them for as well, as Jesus did. But then it comes to a head, and all of a sudden, the, the Ephesian church was probably like, wow, like we're doing really great. God is um, blessing us for the things. He has seen the works that we have been doing. He has seen that we've been enduring all of this, all of this stuff um, in our culture that is so hard to endure in. Um, he sees that we detest evil, that we're not going to stand for it. We're not going to be around it. But then all of a sudden, it just comes to a halt. And I'm sure the Ephesian church was really surprised. Um, so despite all the good that the Ephesian church was doing, there was something seriously wrong. So if you had attended one of their church services at Ephesus, you might have thought, this is a happening church. They're doing so much, they work so hard, have great outreach, and protect the integrity of the gospel. But at the same time, you might have a vague sense of a feeling that something was missing. Something wasn't quite right. But for Jesus, it wasn't hard to see at all. Church had become a habit, a duty, sticking it out and staying faithful, a loveless labor, Work without wonder, dry, boring at the end of the day. There was a definite marker of a sad departure from the love that they once had. And it's crazy to me because the Ephesian church was once known for this love. In the Bible, you can read about it. They were all for one another. They were all for Christ. In fact, it was their very love for God and others that defined them. Every single aspect of their lives was determined by their love for God and their love for others. Um, earlier this week when I was chatting to Pastor Shannon about this sermon, he um, shed some light on something to me that I actually had never thought about before. Before, when I had read this and heard other sermons on this passage before, it was all about how they left their love for Christ. And although that is correct, um, there was another part of that that was extremely important for me to understand and for all of us to understand. It wasn't just their love for Christ that they left behind. It was their love for other people. They go hand in hand. When you love God, you are able to love people. And when you love the people of, of your congregation, of other people just in general outside of these four walls, your love, your connection to Christ is that much stronger. And without one or the other, the other one just kind of falls apart. It's not theirs. And so when we read this, of course it is about your love for Christ but even more so importantly, sometimes, it's our love for other people. And they lost it. It just wasn't there. And it's just crazy to me because this is what the church is supposed to be about. That was literally their one thing was supposed to be to love God and to love others. And they lost it. Instead, they settled for, for their roles of, in their ministry. How can I do this? How can I get this done? How can we pump out more events? How can we pump out more sermons? just almost like a machine. And it just comes crashing down when Jesus points out the fact like, yeah, I see everything that you're doing. I've, I haven't missed it. 
I've been watching you. I have an intimate, close relationship with you. But what you don't understand is that you've left this. You're not listening to me anymore. You're not loving people anymore. In your time of meet and greet, you're just shaking hands and not actually spending time getting to know one another, seeing how each other are, checking up on one another, seeing, hey, how are you doing? I understand that you're going through a hard time. There was no time for that because they were just so busy doing everything, persevering for the gospel and, and going hard um, to make sure that, that they were getting rid of people who were, weren't communicating the gospel correctly. But they missed it. Everything that they were doing was in vain. And so it comes to a point where, where God says, you need to do something about this. Um, a huge problem needs a huge remedy. And so God is saying, you need to spend some time repenting. You can go to the next one. Oh, and the next one. <laughs> you need to spend some time remembering what it was like at first. You're so caught up in the moment, you're so caught up in what you're doing that you don't even remember when you first got saved how much you loved other people, how much you loved me. You don't, you don't even think about it at all. You've missed it. And remembering back, it shows us how much we've fallen. Sometimes we look back into our life, hopefully most of the time it's good seeing how much you've grown and how much you've spiritually changed, but sometimes, that hopefully odd time, you look back and say, oh my goodness, it's kind of like a what, ha what happened here to get me in the place that I am right now. When I thought I was doing so well, the biggest thing in my life, it just kind of fell through the cracks. I didn't realize it, but now I see it. The second thing that Jesus told them to do was to repent. So it wasn't enough for them to, to see where they have gone wrong or see, look back and, and be able to tell that they've fallen away. Now they have to turn to action like they were so good at doing, but now it's in the other direction. You need to repent. You need to understand the gravity of what I'm trying to do because you guys are actually getting in the way of it because you're doing all this stuff, but it's all fake. Underneath it all, the, the foundation of why you are doing the things that you are doing isn't real. And so you need to come back. You need to repent um, make sure that every single thing that you do from now on represents me, your love for me, your love for other people. And then the last one is to come back, to return to Jesus. So again, the action of the repentance is to com come back home. And what's, what's awesome that I always remember and tell myself is no matter how far you've gone away from the truth, whether it be like them, you're just stuck in a mindset of I need to do this, 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 and this, I need to check off the, the marks on my Christian to-do list today, or maybe you've gone um, another way and totally just walked off the map. You've forsaken your faith. You've gone away. It doesn't matter which one of those two things have happened to you. Jesus is always wanting you to come back and return, and he's going to restore that in you, and he's going to help you grow, redeem yourself, redeem that situation, come back to that first love for God and for other people. Go to the next one. So what does this have to do with youth ministry? So for me, one of the most important things in my mission and my vision and the things that I, I hope to see here are youth, junior high, senior high, young adults, walk out their life in such a manner that 
is so, so, so contagious. It's not going to burn out. They have a foundation that is laid that they can walk on for the rest of their life. That they know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves them and their goal in life is to keep on growing in that and giving it to other people. And for our church, what this means for us is that we have an obligation to them. It's important that, that we have our stuff <laughs> together as best as we can so that we can model for our young people, the younger generation, what it's like to live a life completely surrendered and sold out to Jesus. That's on us. Sometimes we don't like taking the responsibility or we want to like shove it off or pretend like our journey with God isn't affecting somebody else. But in all truth, it is. And your story is powerful. The way that you live out your life, the way that you live out your faith, it's powerful. There's something to be said by the way that you live. And so for the young people who grow up and they're watching you, they, they don't have blinders on. It doesn't take much for them to weed out who's actually being real and who's actually just faking it until they make it. I see some nods. <laughs> I could tell when I was younger. I can still tell. I mean, sometimes I get it wrong, but I can still tell. And it was huge for me. Thankfully, my story was one of seeing people rally together. And I was, when I was growing up as a teenager, I faced a lot of um, just certain hardships. I'm sure that most of you have faced in their life. But I came to a point when I was about 12 years old that I was like, I'm done with, with all of this that life has shoved my way. This is too much. I, I felt like the weight of the world on me. And at this point in life, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a believer. But my mom was, and I saw the way that she did life, but to me, it just wasn't connecting yet. Nothing, it didn't stick, it wasn't there fully. And she convinced me, I would love to tell the story another time, but she convinced me to come to youth group uh, for six months. She made a bribe to me, and I took the bribe, because it was a good one. <laughs> uh, she told me, like, go to youth group for six months, and then do with what you want. You can leave after that or you can stay, but just, just go for six months. And I cannot, cannot express to you guys in words the love that I felt when I walked into church as a young junior high student who didn't value themselves, who was insecure, who didn't have the confidence of nothing, to walk into a church building, to have a, a load of people come up to me, and I was extremely shy at this point. I would never do this at 12 years old, obviously. But uh, to have so many people surround me, ask me my name, ask me my story, and invite me out to coffee or to their house to go play some games, get to know my story. I cannot tell you how thankful I am for those people. And I'm sure that's some of your stories, too. You walked into a church, and you found it. They got it. They really, really, really got it. And it was amazing to you because your whole life opened up in a split second because somebody showed you the love that God had for them, and they were shining it through themselves onto you. 
and it was contagious, and it helped you keep going, coming back. It's important what you do and how you live your life collectively as a church to have that, that love for God, that passion for God, but as well as in an intimate relationship on your own, what you do at home, how you read your Bible, how, you, how much you pray. These things matter in the, in the sense of relationship with God. And some of the, I'm sure we, we know that the statistic for youth leaving the church after they've graduated high school is astronomical. It's huge. And it's heartbreaking, but it's true. And, we, and when we don't look at it or we ignore it, try to pretend like it's not there, we, we end up doing more harm than good. It's sad. Most of my friends that I had in youth group growing up don't serve God. They don't. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to listen about it. When they hear me talk about it, they're like, okay, that's great for you, but not for me anymore. I've kind of passed that stage in my life. I figured it out for myself, and now I'm walking on to something else. And I can't help but think, even though it's a personal decision for them to make that choice to walk away, sometimes... In our church, if things were a little bit different, maybe they could have grasped it. Maybe they could have had somebody walk alongside of them, explaining to them that no matter what happens in your life, the most important thing for you to understand is that God loves you, and for you to love him, to love others. I have a friend who I'm still fairly close with um, who walked away from youth group, who walked away from his faith. Completely. And when I go to talk to him about it um, and ask why, some of the biggest things that he had was what they were saying just wasn't true because they didn't show me it. Every single time that I walked into church, I would feel judged. I would feel like nobody actually cared about me. And they were singing the songs, they were doing their stuff, the events, and Nobody even came up to me to ask me if I was okay. Nobody came up to me to, to help me along the way to see, do you really know how much God loves you? Nobody spent the time. And now he's adamant that, no, this is fake. It's not real. I just wish that he saw the love that I saw when I walked into church. Some of the things that... Um, other things that may, may help us in making sure that our young people understand how much God loves them is to, again, just play it out in our own lives. This is what, just how you live your life. And one of the biggest things that, that youth kind of catch on to is that sometimes faith just feels boring. I've heard, probably heard many, many people say, well, it's just boring. You can't actually do anything. Um, they don't let you do stuff. There's like, it's just all this rules. And I just, I, I don't even feel welcome to come into a church building because it's just weird. And it's just, it's a stagnant and it's a dry faith. And the church of Ephesus, without even knowing it, became stagnant and dry because it came, became all about duty. It didn't become about relationship anymore. It was about what can I do? What are the things that need to be done? Who made the bulletin this week? 
And so I want, what I want personally as a youth pastor is for, and I'm sure all of us too, is for youth, to under, youth and young adults to understand that life with God is not stagnant, nor is it boring, nor is it dry. It is none of those things. And if it is one of those things, then we're doing something wrong or we're just in a funk. Sometimes we, we have those moments that we are in a low. So I don't want to um, make that seem like that's always awful or it's your fault. It's not. But it's not stagnant. It's not dry. It's not boring. We need to show the youth and the young adults that living a life for God is exciting. It's daring. You take risks. When you're with God, nothing is impossible. And instead, youth are saying, oh man, I don't feel like I can do this. I don't feel like there's much for me. I don't even know what I'm called to in life. They see no purpose in it all, at all. And we need to help them as a church congregation through our own lives, telling them, telling them your stories, your testimony, to make sure that they understand the things that you've gone through in your life, how God has come through for you, how God has been faithful to you, the things that he's led you to. Don't keep those things to yourself. They're precious. They need to hear them. Even if you think it's awkward walking up to a student and starting a conversation, it's worth it. And it turns into something really beautiful most times. The other thing um, that I found is that counterfeits produce counterfeits. I'm not saying people that you're counterfeit, but I'm saying that when we have our priorities out of whack and the love for God is all of a sudden placed way at the bottom, you can't expect for young people who are growing up in that environment to all of a sudden produce the love for God and the zeal for love for others all of a sudden just magically appear. God could do that. Hopefully he does do that in certain situations. But the fact is counterfeits produce counterfeits. And what we don't want as a church is for us to live in such a way that our youth follow and actually become who we are, but then all of a sudden we realize who we are isn't actually what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be, like I said before, going out onto these new adventures with God, these exciting things. Youth are facing a lot of problems today, such as chaotic and toxic family households, drug and alcohol abuse, violence in schools, materialism, self-confidence and identity issues, sexual identity, education disparity, financial disparity, lack of social skills, addiction to technology, worth in social, finding your worth in social media, mental illness, like depression, anxiety, and suicide. We need to be aware of these things because it matters. In the face of these challenges, more than ever, our youth need a church family that loves them without condition. They need to know without a shadow of a doubt that there is an army of people around them who know them personally and love them, who would be first in line to pray for them, to encourage them, challenge them, explain things to them, speak life over them, give them opportunities to engage in their faith in new ways. They need to have others confirm and call forth the plans that God has for them. People other than their peers who would be willing to go the extra mile to check in on them. Even as far as to let them wrestle with their faith with you. Even if that means some really uncomfortable conversations sometimes. It's really worth it. It's extremely worth it. The only reason why I'm here today is that somebody somewhere absolutely loved God so much that they started attending a church 
and inside that church it grew. And I all of a sudden found myself placed into this church and felt that love that all of these people had. And now all of a sudden I find myself, I have a purpose, I have an identity in Christ, I have meaning. My story means something to somebody. I can actually do this, this is exciting. I want to keep growing inside my relationship with Jesus. It's all because of an environment that was all about God and all about people. They were ready to sacrifice everything else, even if their events sucked. And sometimes they do. (laughs) But even if all of those things that they were trying to do, they all just bombed, I think I would have still attended because somebody cared about me. Each week I came in and they knew my story. They asked me new questions. I wish that was the same for my friend. And I'm sure there's many people that, that you know personally who you wish that had been the case for them too because now they're off convinced that the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. And it's not true. Sometimes we just, we don't get it right sometimes and we're fallen people. We don't quite get it all the way through sometimes, but that shouldn't always be the case. We should always be trying to to see, remember back to how it was. Have I changed? What have I done that is different, that I'm now um, functioning a different way? We need to come back and repent, understand the gravity of what we have done. And even in those circumstances, I find that that youth understand when, when the church is able to be transparent enough and authentic enough to say, oh man, we did get it wrong but I'm gonna figure out a way to, to make this right. I'm gonna figure out a way to, to make sure that my walk with God is right back on track so that I can show you that it's possible to fail and get back up again. Because we all know in life, there's so many challenges, so many heartbreaking situations that we go through and that we face and that sometimes they, they set us back a, a notch in our relationship with God and we, we don't feel as close but they need to know that there's comeback after that. When they fall back, they don't stay there. They keep going, and they come back stronger. I'm thankful for people um, like Tammy in my old church who used to pray for me. I'm thankful for people like Abby who who know me deeply, who who send me messages and ask me how I'm doing. I'm thankful for Tina, the one who sent me messages or the, the letters in the mail constantly. As a young person, that means a lot. That's huge for somebody to do that. So again, our our youth need a church that will never stop working hard for the kingdom of God. Our youth needs a church that will never stop patiently enduring the hardships that come their way, even when it gets a lot harder than we ever thought it would. Our youth need a church that will never compromise the truth for the gospel to fit cultural norms. But most importantly, our youth need a church that keeps love for God and love for others above everything else. Now, this sermon isn't to say that we are the Church of Ephesus. (laughs) I'm not saying that um, the commendations that they had are ours or the rebuke that they had is ours, but we can learn something from this. We can take something from this. Maybe personally, you, you do works and you detest evil and you patiently endure, but you need that, that reminder that God loves you and to come back to him. Maybe it's something else that you're struggling with that um, has just become extremely hard for you and you need 
that, 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 again, that boost to come back to understand that there's, there's a redeemable aspect to your life. And maybe some of you just needed to hear this because you're not quite connected to the youth in our congregation. Maybe you've been attending for a really long time and you've been very faithful in attending and you really, really do have a heart for others. But maybe it's just been hard for you to have that connection or the courage or the boldness to walk up to somebody who is in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, 12th grade, a young adult in college or somebody in the workforce. You need some help and, and just encouragement saying that your story matters to them and you could help them along the way in their journey. Invite the worship team to come back. So I would just like to leave a, a challenge with you this morning. And the challenge would be to, to really look inward to yourself personally. See the things that, that Jesus absolutely loves about you. See those things that um, he's placed in you that makes you unique to other people, the passions that you have, and the, the things that God has put on your heart that he is so proud of you for. And he genuinely is extremely proud of you. But there's something else. When you're really honest with yourself, underneath all of that, you've been missing something. Maybe it is that love for God. Maybe it is that love for other people. Maybe it's forgiveness, struggle with forgiveness. Maybe it's struggling with something physical like an addiction. There is something to be redeemed, but there's something to be shared. And I would like to challenge us to to look at the way we're living. Are we living in such a way that if our youth grew up to be like you, that you would be very proud of them? And sometimes that's hard to think about. Because you may be trying really, really hard. And that's good. That's great. But we need God to help us go further. We need God to help us push through um, the whatever is blocking us to, to get that extra step closer to God and helping us realize that there's always more to love of God. There's always more to learn of how to love people. I challenge you to get to know the youth and young adults inside of this church. On a Sunday morning, ask somebody about their story and check in on them once in a while. And if you're extremely brave, ask them to come over to your house for a meal or go um, Go to Tim Hortons for a chat. Maybe it's going to uh, a sports game. Really taking that time to connect with somebody. Because our church isn't supposed to be in sections. Like, this is the youth part of our church. This is the junior high, the senior high part. And then the adult congregation separates as, or functions as a separate part of this church. It's not how it's supposed to be supposed to be a family, and families know each other. Families get together with each other. Consider mentoring somebody, taking an extra step and volunteer maybe with one of our ministries. And I tell you that sometimes it's the youth leaders who actually make a more of an impact than the youth pastor. <laughs> and that's, that's a real thing. 
very real. I'm going to try my hardest, my absolute hardest to pour into the lives that are, are given to me through this ministry, but I can't do it all alone. Pastor Shannon can't do it all alone with all these people. That's why there's other people on staff. That's why there's volunteers. That's why each of you individually have a role to play inside of this church to help one another out because we all can't do it alone. If you feel it on your heart that maybe it's time to step out a little bit and see what avenues there are to get connected, I'm sure that all of us would be very, very ecstatic to talk to you about that because our youth needs you, our young adults need you, and you need it too because they have a lot to pour into your life as well. Maybe a part of that coming back to life is seeing the passion that a young person has for Jesus, looking at them and seeing yourself 20 years ago, 30 years ago, exactly how they were. Now all of a sudden it's a little bit different. We can learn from one another. And so I, I'm thankful for this letter written to the Ephesians church. The church in Ephesus, who are doing so many things amazingly, but God told them there's something wrong, there's something missing. We can learn from that. So I would invite the prayer team to come up. And I would just like to have a moment where, where people who really need prayer for different things that they're facing, doesn't even have to do, have to have anything to do with this message, but that just they, they need prayer for something in their life that they've been going through to come up and get prayed for. But I would also like to invite anybody up to who just needs speaking encouragement over their life and how they can get connected. So I'm going to pray and then the people can come up. Dear God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for revealing to us through the letter of, uh, to the Ephesians church the things that maybe we need to come back to, the things that we need to remember the things that we need to repent for. God, I thank you so much for a congregation, a church family who does care. And I've seen it ever since I've been here. They truly do care. But there's always room to go further. So there's always room to grow in this love for God and the love for other people. I pray that they would take a moment to, to really think about the youth in this church the young adults in this church, how hard it must be for them to grow up in a society that keeps telling them that God isn't real, that this isn't actually what you are supposed to be believing. You should come over here, do this, do that. You should leave this faith altogether because it's, it's bogus. The church actually doesn't do what they're supposed to be doing. They're not functioning as they're supposed to be functioning. So why don't you come over here? I pray that we take a moment and think about it, how precious these lives are, how precious they are to God, what they can do for the kingdom when they're actually set on a foundation that sets them forth on a path, on a journey that is surrendered completely to you. There's so much to be done while we're here, and our young people are amazing prospects for that. Would we team up with one another? Grab the hand on somebody to your right and left and just go out into this world and doing deeds and works that actually have meaning because they're rooted in the love for you that, that will endure anything at any cost because we know 
that you love us. We'll push away the things of this world that, that try to misconstru misconstrue your word and the gospel message. God, I just pray for that extra, the zeal, for the excitement, for seeking that adventure with you, the risks that come with having a relationship with you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've put on my heart. And God, I just pray that it resonates here in this room with the people here and that steps would be taken, something new, and that they would be encouraged.